everybody we are back with another episode of safety stock i am will davis i am blessed to have dan Megiddo with us and dan it's not just you do we what do you mean it's just well, you're not the only person that is with us you mean blessing you that today? is correct you are not the only person that is blessing me today we have another blessing i, I know it's a, it's it's a nice treat we have today and we're honored to be joined by frank kasarik head of sourcing at open store frank how does it feel to be blessed and in will's presence today feeling very very blessed thanks for having me dan and will absolutely um now frank maybe you know a lot of times we start off by asking this question um are you more of a summer guy or more of a fall guy we are just in the fall good question I think I think I'm more of a fall guy. Honestly, I'm a big car person, a big outdoors person. So I like doing fall drives in the leaves. I like running outside, biking outside, and I live in Miami, so those things are just not possible during the summer. So I don't know about you guys. But is that possible in the fall in Miami? There's it's what do you have. There's no the leaves <laughs> don't change colors in Miami. There's no it's what do you got the palm trees maybe yeah. a little fall a down, little bit. Yeah, you've got the northeast fall. here. Right. You get some fall for like a month in November when it feels like basically end of August in New York City. And and then you get a couple of glorious months and then it's back to summer again. There you go. I mean, but still, it's Miami. It's nice. It's nice. It is. They, yeah. Yeah. Can't complain yeah. too much. So, Frank, can you, you know, for just setting the scene for the people listening, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about Open Store. What is Open Store? Yep. Yeah, so OpenStore is the um, the provider of liquidity for Shopify e-commerce merchants. So our mission is to make it possible for any merchant to sell their business quickly, transparently, and easily um, and use the cash that we, we provide to move on to whatever's next, whether that's becoming a yoga instructor, starting another e-com business. Um, we, we notice that this long tail of e-commerce merchants that are, you know, they're not doing 20 million, 30 million in, in revenue. Um, they didn't have a way to <clears throat> move on to what's next, sell their business um, the way, you know, a, a much larger business would. So our mission is to create the infrastructure by which they can sell that business, move on, um, and, you know, just continue that cycle of entrepreneurship or self-improvement. Can you are you able to go into detail just on what you look for in that that vetting process? And we do just want to off the bat just congratulate you guys. You did just announce a latest round. I think it was around thirty two million dollars. So you raised one hundred fifty million over the course of the last couple of years at a valuation of nine hundred seventy million. So just congrats on all that growth. Um, but yeah, what have you seen in the I guess the vetting process? How many customers have you guys acquired to date? And what's that target ICP that you look for? Yeah, absolutely. At a high level, we're looking for businesses doing the majority of sales on Shopify. Um, so we, wanna, we want a, a situation where um, you know, the merchant is relying on the direct-to-consumer presence above all else, wholesale, Amazon, um, you know, for, for their business. Um, we look for you know, at least six, six figures in revenue. And we like to see that the business is serving at least 
majority of U.S.-based customers. Um, business can be headquartered abroad, not an issue, um, but should be serving U.S. customers. And then more importantly, I think in terms of maximizing uh, the open store valuation, we look for brands that have evidence of stickiness. And what I mean by stickiness is um, repeat rates uh, that kind of look like a subscription business and high average order values that are consistent, right? We want to see a person, you know, customer A buys a product in January, they come back in June, they come back in December. Um, they're loyal to the brand. And then finally, what really gets us excited is um, stable customer acquisition costs. Uh, of course, iOS 14 has had uh, a profound impact on e-commerce and, and all advertisers, right? Um, so those merchants that can uh, keep their customer acquisition costs stable with ad creative refreshes, audience refreshes, um, we'd love to assign credit for that. Um, and, and we think that's extra impressive in our vetting process. So if I'm if I'm kind of playing this back in, in some ways, you know, making it easy to understand if you're right now ios with 14 made it more difficult for people that are advertising to get data correct to get information about how well something's doing or who's interacting with their products and so what you're looking for is brands that are overcoming that challenge and in some ways have a multiple um, pronged approach about how they're getting to those customers and getting information about it. And additionally to that, you're ideally looking for, you know, increases of sales. And at what point does margin come into play for what those brands are? Or are you even thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, we don't have a hard cutoff in terms of margin. Um, what we look for is, is our valuation technique is a little different than other aggregators. Um, you know, the standard across the industry is to say, all right, Let's take your profit and loss statement and apply a multiple to your revenue or a multiple to your EBITDA, and that's your price, right? Um, what we do is, is much more programmatic and fully data-driven, right? So we're not choosing an arbitrary multiple. What we're doing instead is pulling uh, the, the, the business's customer acquisition cost trend leading up to the price, um, and then looking at their repeat transaction rate and their average order value, and basically computing, you know, per customer, what is, what is each customer going to contribute to the business, right? We sum that up across past and future customers, and then we discount that to today to come up with a price. So um, we're not saying, hey, you know, we're not going to uh, move forward unless there's a certain X margin. It's really about how much of a flywheel effect can we detect through those three numbers, um, and how does that affect the forward-looking projection for the business? Um, we can run that all algorithmically, uh, and, and get that turned around in as little as 24 hours. So. Gotcha. So we've seen Amazon aggregators as a whole, that uh, market has definitely got more competitive over the last couple of years. And then there's been some valuation hits as well. And then you guys are on the Shopify side. And I mean, your valuation has obviously gone up with, with the latest round closing. How, how would you say you're, model differentiates from them for long-term like growth. Um, so you don't possibly fall into some things that they did where it was grow too fast, but how do you operationally separate? Um, and what do you guys do on the operational side once you acquire these brands? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great question. And I think, you know, to start off, um, have to hand it to a lot of the Amazon aggregators for, uh, sort of pioneering the path. 
uh, toward you know normalizing aggregation. Um, I think they they did a lot of work to make it commonplace and make it attractive. Um, I think the primary differentiator comes when you look at the differences in the assets we're acquiring. Right, there aren't as many Shopify aggregators. Um, if you look at what you're acquiring with an Amazon asset, Amazon still owns that customer, right? Um, you are acquiring the Amazon Seller Central login, um, you know, potentially a PPC strategy. Um, and I would say the ceiling of potential improvements you can make to that asset are more limited. Um, the upside is it's much more of a cookie cutter type asset, right? It's, it's, it's boxed, it's neater, um, you know, it's, it's easier to manage. Um, but we believe, you know, the, the real bet is to place on the power of the brand, the power of the, the story that each founder has built, um, and leveraging that as a means of growing each asset. Um, the flip side is that's a lot more difficult, right? We have to handle all the customer acquisition, all the retention, the supply chain. Um, all of that falls completely on us. But we think the upside is significantly greater because we are uh, owning the entire customer journey from end to end as opposed to, uh, you know, borrowing eyeballs from Amazon. Um, that's That's critical. And then I think... To your second point, uh, Dan, around um, you know valuation hits, um, one thing that we've been extremely, extremely disciplined about is how we think about pricing. Um, our operational capacity is intimately tied to how we price businesses. Um, so we will only uh, price what we believe is reasonable for our internal ops capacity. I think where some of the disconnect has come with Amazon aggregators is they've priced at market, um, you know, at, at a multiple, let's say. Um, and that necess not, hasn't necessarily correlated to their ability to operate that brand post-acquisition. So um, our founder, Keith, credit to him for imposing this strong uh, lockstep discipline between uh, how we price and how we operate. Let's say I have a Bloody Mary business and it's doing about $750,000 a year. In sales. Is alcohol even part of your ICP, Frank? Do you guys even go out for those brands? Let's just maybe we do a practical example. Well, well, it's a Bloody Mary mix, Dan. It's not that I'm. It's yeah, it's a Bloody Mary mix. Are it's you, not alcoholic. That's true. Yeah. Are you in the beverage? Is beverage part of your target ICP? We'll ask though? if Frank's in beverage. And if he's not, beverage I'll pivot. Be. Beverage can be. Yeah, for sure. We have no hard uh, lines in the sand, um, you know, against any category unless that category can't be advertised on digital marketing. So your oh, average, well, your, guess your what? Typical, okay. Yeah. Bloody Mary mix. I think, I think you're, I think you're good you. here. I think you're good. Thank there. you, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Right. Um, you know, also too, you know, let me know if you're available on Mondays and Wednesdays and we'll talk, <laughs> you know, yeah, on that side of things though. All right. So I am now we're at the point to where effectively you have cut me the check and now the business has been turned over to open store. What what's the next 30 days looking like for that business, whether it be the employees or what are you looking like? How does how do things assimilate? What's going on from there? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I actually think that's another place where we really differentiate ourselves. Um, if you accept an offer from us, um, to be clear, accepting the offer for your business, let's say, is not obligating you to sell it. Right. So we, we kick off a two week diligence phase after you accept um, and that's where we, we basically validate that nothing about the business is different from how it was presented during pricing, right? So if you're honest with your submission, nothing to worry about. Um, once that two-week period finishes, 
uh, we actually pay 80% of the total deal price at our closing phase. So let's say you get an offer, you accept that offer, diligence takes two weeks. Within that two-week period, you're getting 80% of the deal, which is the fastest uh, payout structure that I am aware of in the entire market. Um, if you Sounds go pretty broker, good to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are other ways to sell your business, but it might take six months, 12 months, 18 months, right, to, to get a payout. Ours is two weeks. Um, and then the final phase is we do a, a 60-day transition phase where we learn from you, Will, how to run your Bloody Mary mix, how to get uh, Mondays and, and Wednesdays, uh, uh, you know, get customers uh, lined up to, to mix Bloody Marys on those two days. Um, and, of course, supply chain, marketing, fulfillment, all of that falls in, in the purview. Um, and at the end of that 60 days, you, you receive your trailing 20% of, of the payment and your transition totally off. Um, important distinction on that last point. Our mission is to let founders move on to what's next without feeling like they're in, you know, locked in uh, with golden handcuffs uh, for the business they just sold to us. So most founders elect to transition off with their teams. Um, and that's been a huge net positive. Um, you know, we've had some incredible founders already go out and start other businesses, um, go back to grad school, et cetera. Um, and the reason for that is because we've totally cut them loose from the business, right? Are those companies, so like the Bloody Mary mix, say, are, are most of the companies that you're acquiring, are they lean teams to begin with, just the, the founders? Or do, do any of them have, say, like a 30-person team already? Because that's obviously maybe a little bit more sensitive for those employees if they stay on or transition off? How do you manage that? Generally pretty lean to answer your question. Um, and that's, okay. that's a component of it where, you know, we, we, we certainly uh, look for that in our ops capacity. If you can get the most out of a very lean team, um, that is a signal to us that we can, you know, easily integrate this brand to our, our portfolio without having to spin up new functions that are one off, right. To, to serve, that brand's particular needs. Yep. Um, and it's also, you know, it's a testament to the entrepreneurs to be able to uh, uh, reach the, the, you know, interesting revenue thresholds on such a lean team. So we take that as a validation of the team and the market. Right? Operationally for you guys, um, since, sure, like, and this may be outside your purview, but more of a, just bring it to a little bit of a supply chain focus where um, on the, say the procurement or freight side, if you're working with international, do you guys do like consolidation with some manufacturers or consolidate for freight income and freight shipments um, on the 3PL side? Do you bring everything into your own dedicated fulfillment centers to manage freight that way? So it's everything's under one roof. So a little bit cheaper, more operational insights there. Um, I guess, what do you, do you work on that right now? Or maybe that's a future good plan. That's, well, and I just offered you guys just free consulting right there on the spot. Um, or what headwinds do you see in the market today that don't you don't do that? Or just in general, other headwinds um, in the business to look out for, for sure. in the next year? Yeah, for sure. So I, I mentioned that, you know, our, our sort of reason for existence is to give Shopify entrepreneurs instant liquidity for their business, let them move on to what's next. I think the other side of that thesis is <clears throat> why does it make sense for us to do that, right, um, operationally? Um, and one of our key theses is that, um, you know, if, if you're a single Shopify entrepreneur up against the world, uh, the leverage with which you can, you know, negotiate down shipping fulfillment, um, you know, speculatively deploy capital to stock up is much more limited, right. Than what, what we can do with, 
you know, tens of brands in our, our portfolio, right? And so um, one of the hypotheses, yes, Dan, is um, consolidation of manufacturing, uh, fulfillment and shipping, um, you know, economies of scale that start to accrue when you have uh, multiple brands working with the same 3PL as opposed to just a one-off uh, level of volume, right? Um, and so we, we do think about that, um, you know, in terms of streamlining our, our fulfillment, pick and pack costs, um, et cetera. I also hear, you know, I'm on the phone with merchants all the time and I love to hear their stories. And I always ask, what, uh, what, what motivates you to seek a price from us? Why are you doing this? And I hear again and again, um, they have trouble, uh, you know, accessing uh, affordable capital to finance inventory ahead of a big season, right? So they're constantly trying to figure out, okay, Q4 is coming. I don't have enough cash on hand to finance what I, what I, I need to, uh, to finance uh, to not to stock out. Um, what do I do? Do I borrow from Shopify Capital? Do I borrow from another lender? And one of the advantages for us is that you know, we just raised that, that large round and we've raised, uh, we're fortunate enough to raise other capital previously. We can speculatively deploy that capital and make sure the brand is not stocked out at critical sales times. Um, so that's just another, you know, financial advantage that we have. Um, and this ultimately is to the benefit of each brand, keeping them kind of alive and well during the, the high traffic times. So, you know, I think the interesting thing is to your point is that when, when certain brands are struggling to order the amount of components or raw materials needed to support what they think they're going to have orders for, whether that be they know it's the case and they, they're about to launch into a retailer or they're seeing data across their DTC or omni-channel platform. And, you know, they, they, fit, they, they are convicted that they're going to have these orders. Do you start seeing a bump at some point in time once there's been an acquisition to where you're like, hey, now that this brand is properly supported that you actually see, you know, there's a year one or year two bump in terms of the organic sales or non or whatever it may be that you're like, it's like the open store bump of when you buy someone. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think we do start to see that because we have a playbook of optimizations that we apply to every brand, right? This kind of um, baseline improvements that we think every brand should have. And we apply those. That's you know conversion optimization, um, storefront optimization, marketing creative uh, refreshes, um, and also frankly just staying in stock. <laughs> we see uh, you know ROAS uh, return on ad spend start to to increase in a lot of cases when we take over simply because when a a, a paid visitor you know hits one of our pages, the the product they're looking for is actually in stock now, and we can actually make that sale. Um, so definitely that's that's exactly our vision. Um, you know, goalpost one is let's stabilize the business and get it to operate at least as well as it was when the founder was running it um, by applying that playbook. And then we start to get creative about, you know, what's the next level of growth to take uh, each of these brands to the next level. And that's where things get really interesting. And to that growth, Frank, um, how many customers have you guys acquired, I guess, to date? And what's the what's the plans for... I guess the next year, um, but also um, to piggyback on the, your last point, where you want to grow these companies. Do you ever foresee? I mean, another like liquidation event for those companies too, where they could raise their own funding outside of what you obviously already acquired for them, or spin them off into their own separate entities outside, like the the open store platform. Yeah, I'll answer 
both questions. I, I can't get specifically into the number of customers we've acquired, but um, you know that is part of the vision, right? Um, we are owning that customer journey end to end because the the asset we're acquiring is on Shopify and, and not on Amazon. So that is, um, you know, that's definitely a key part of the thesis and a, and a number we're very attuned to. Um, with respect to, you know, is there another liquidity event for these these businesses after we've acquired them? That is in our playbook. Um, we are a buy and hold strategy, not a, a buy and flip. Um, and uh, it's, it's really that buy and hold strategy that uh, makes us, first off, have a lot of discipline in how we price businesses and how uh, we select the businesses to acquire, right? We're committing to run these brands. Um, and we also think that's the real upside on the back end, um, where our, our upside is not just the difference between our purchase price and a sale price, but really it's the long-term value created and the playbook we create to run this portfolio, right? So that's where we're taking a longer-term vision to it. Do you find yourself at some point like having a certain specialty? in terms of like, hey, we're, we're, you know, we've acquired enough brands to where we think actually we're getting really good at knowing, you know, certain customer analytics or, you know, we're yeah. starting to see um, where we're really good at knowing the movement of glass because we've gotten that. Is there anything that's like jumped out to where you're like, hey, we've because of what we're doing, we've actually become experts in X. Yeah, I think to date, we've had no um, strong category focus, you know, saying, hey, we do exclusively apparel or exclusively, uh, you know, food and bev. Actually, we, we own a, you know, a meat subscription business. We own a, a yoga, uh, a yoga apparel business. We own a drones business. So it's, it's really runs the gamut. Um, and I think what we've actually realized is, is kind of the flip side of what you said, Will. Um, the inputs to a successful e-com store are relatively constant across um, a lot of different categories. Um, you can actually apply a playbook, um, you know, with some, I would say some small uh, iterations and editing um, that works across the board. Um, and what we've noticed, I think, is the importance of marketing and the importance of keeping creative fresh, constantly testing, generating new creative, so that when you're on Instagram, um, you know, and you're, you're showing an ad to a customer, their, their scroll stops instantly. You have to keep uh, going back to the drawing board and making people stop scrolling if you want to keep the flywheel moving. So once we master that, we think the category or, or the industry we're dealing with actually matters uh, not so much um, insofar as we can calibrate marketing. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting yeah, Shimon, but but Frank, we really appreciate all your time and joining us today on safety stock how can brands or even just entrepreneurs get a hold of you guys and what's the best way of getting that valuation or just learning more about open store yeah yeah well the, the benefit um dan is that um our valuation process is totally online takes about two minutes to complete um our our site is at open.store um you can submit your email address and your website url there and then what we need is a connection to your Shopify account, which you can provide in about two seconds, um, and a recent profit and loss statement. Um, and also, if you use Google and Facebook ads, we, we use those uh, critically as part of our analysis. Um, but from there, um, we receive your information and turn around the valuation uh, if you're fit in, in 24 hours. Um, and then from there, you can kick off the exact process that, uh, that I mentioned before. But a couple of things to note on you know, how to think about preparing your business 
uh, for a sale, if that's interesting to you. Um, you know, I mentioned the, the number one most important input to our model is how controllable is the customer acquisition cost for the brand? Um, so anything you can do to show stability or even a decrease in customer acquisition costs will go a long way toward valuation. Um, I think secondly, I always tell founders, you know, make sure you have as much documentation ready about your business as possible. So supplier relationships, um, you know, what are the terms, all invoices for your inventory, uh, true profit and loss statements that are up to date. All that makes our diligence process that much easier um, and also, you know, makes it more likely that when you submit your, your initial application, um, you're not misrepresenting anything, right? There are no surprises. Um, and then finally, I think the important piece is, uh, of course, there is some psychology around if I'm selling a business, do I, do I pull off the gas? Do I stop hustling as hard um, just because I'm, I'm not interested anymore? And I think um, the advice I always give founders is, you know, keep running the business as if there was not an offer on the table, even if you are working with us. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, we want to give you the max credit for the performance that's continued you know, through our pricing phase and diligence. Um, so I would say, you know, my advice is keep, keep hustling, um, keep your marketing, you know, fresh and alive. Um, and that'll make sure you get the, the highest valuation on the back end. All right. Well, if anybody has any questions that they want um, Frank to answer, and uh, you can always reach out to us at hello at anvil.com. That's A-N-V-Y-L.com. And if you want to know what other type of foliage is going on in Miami in the fall or winter, you know, also we can get some of that. And so let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And then, you know, we'll be back with another episode shortly. Till then. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Appreciate Frank. you having me.